Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a new era of James Bond. Yes, skiing down a Swiss slope comes the inimitable form of George Lazenby in some very suspiciously tight blue ski pants. But we'll get to that. Right now, I need to introduce you to my co-host, Stuart Late. Oh, and I'm also Natalie Behensky, and this is Raven Bond, where we look at all the Bond films in order of release. Hello, Stu. Hello, Natalie. Hello, everyone. Yes. Uh, the reason Stu sounds uh, <laughs> is laughing is because <laughs> we just recorded half an hour of podcast and I noticed that I hadn't started the record button. Ah, uh, yes. And, well, look, uh, this, you know. this never happened to the other fellow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you know what? I think that that made it worth, worth it. it. Uh, that third voice you are hearing, ladies and gentlemen, is Nick Wiggins, our very, very dear friend, uh, journalist and writer. He is on Twitter. You can find him at uh, Nick underscore W. And Nick requested to be on this podcast for this episode, and we were delighted to welcome him in to talk about uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And I only wish, Nick, that I could have been a more professional podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to start again <laughs> in the sense of go through our, our minute challenge. Yes. So Q has, has invented miniaturization. <laughs> yes. It's radioactive lint. I do want the to film about, opens. Yes, I do want to talk about the weird way they use Q in this film at some point. But Nick did give us a great story about his Bond, I guess, journey. Do you want to just give us a bit of that again, Nick, how you, you got into it? As tell a- it to us again, Nick. You know, just try and be spontaneous about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, Bond for me was the first kind of adult, quote unquote, films that I could see. Very protective parents, eldest child. I can still remember seeing the first Bond movie that I watched. And it was as part of one of those Channel 10 will show you a new Bond film every week, probably like 11 or 12. I started taping each of them every week off the TV and then would watch them. Do you remember when Channel 10 would used to do that because it was an event and not because they were just desperate to fill airtime? Yes, yes. And I think it was for your eyes only. And I just, you know, it was like watching that, you know, got to watch a an action movie with dad, you know, and I was allowed to watch it, you know, at all of 11 or 12 years old, which, you know, a lot, a lot of kids have watched a lot more before that. And so then I just, I would watch each one each week as they broadcast them and, you know, thought I was, you know, watching like real serious action movies. Uh, <laughs> you were, Nick, you were. Yeah. Oh, now, you know, <laughs> look, I've fessed up to you guys that to prepare for this, I not only watched On Her Majesty's Secret Service, but I rewatched all the Bond films in the space of about a month that's uh, crazy which was an experience and we can get into that later but i i had some thoughts about just how how they hold up in the the bright bright light of i'm you know 20, i'm very interested in in how that how in your thoughts on that because we're six films in now in in a week by week sort of thing you you've compressed this into two weeks i so. look i think there's this thing that i picked up I think I'd held the Bond films in this as these kind of like really classic films. And I think it was partly from the way I first watched them, maybe 10 years later or so when I think they got really good at marketing them. And they would like the, I can still remember like the Bond website would be all gold and, you know, it's, it's and they're yeah. like held up as like, here are the Roger Moore films and here are these films. And, you know, the, the branding and the marketing and it, every time a new film comes out, they have to put the sheen over the rest of them to make them look like these super, super, like this one <laughs> big thing. And watching them through, look, 
Now, watching that many films in that kind of space of time is not recommended. <laughs> you know, it's not recommended, and I wouldn't recommend it. But the Connery stuff where he's acting like a sex predator. <laughs> <laughs> Thank and you, right? Yeah, and he's getting – it's a combination of him acting like that. And also, I don't agree with you guys. I think he sleepwalks through You Only Live Twice. And I think there's this thing that happens with a lot of them, like with him and Roger Moore, the more they do, the more tired and old they get. Yes. <laughs> and oh, the oh, sillier, the sillier they get with them. And and I just, watching them all from this weird condensed mode, I was like, these films are just a good 20 or 30 years. They were just these really silly things that they would churn out elements like i i think i i, I called it like the horny pre-credits scene <laughs> that's in like <laughs> 10 of them in a row where it's just like you know they've just saved the world and it's like okay now what about we spend some you know there's some horrible pun and and it's always the, the horny thing is q who is watching them <laughs> it, it's it, he's obsessed on, on some surveillance he's obsessed. device he's watching them on some it, yeah <laughs> Anyway, look. 007. <laughs> so that really took the sheen off. The Roger Moore ones were a bit of a sludge. But then I re- it meant that when I feel like it bounced back with the first Timothy Dalton, okay, with, the, right. with the first Pierce Brosnan, mm-hmm. and then with with each of these, it's diminishing returns. <laughs> <laughs> but then, then with Daniel Craig as well, those ones, those added a little something. And they, in all of those films, in, the, in actually, it actually is the first of each of their films, the filmmakers seem to like take a step back and question what had come before. So you get yeah. the scene in like GoldenEye, where like Judy Dench rips him a new oh. one and says you're a sexist dinosaur. Oh. Um, and I'm not saying like, look, oh, Bond's this person has to be ripped down, and you know, I'm not saying that. And I love a lot of the things in a lot of the Bond films, but it became a bit of a drudge watching them. And so it was good when you got those little injections of something different. And this film, I think, was a bit of an antidote to the like to what had become the like. By like three films in the Connery one, they're already kind of referencing themselves in not a way that's just mm. callbacks, but it's just like a, oh yeah, we've got to do the, the that thing. So look, I don't think I will ever watch all of them in a marathon setting again. <laughs> and I think there's some that I may never watch again, but there's some things that I love through all of them. And if you'll allow me to waffle on one more thing, of course. there is, I think, one hero that I think is there in the original films and sure is not there in this film, but he came back, he came back in the next film and then he came back again later on in his career, maybe when, uh, you know, others wouldn't, but he's just a seminal part of the <laughs> icon of 007. And that's Ken Adam. Yes. Ken Adam is just, just so much, part, no, no matter how bad the films get, they have either got his sets and production design or you've got someone trying to do a imitation of him, which is never quite as good, but is always something, you know, he gives them, I think, the license to have the to, to just go big and go crazy. Mm. And he's fascinating and just brought so much to there's one little thing that I know this film you're not up to yet, but and you can cut this out if you want to. But there's there's one little thing that I love of his that's not like a big volcano set, but it's in The Spy Who Loved Me, and it, it's the – so that the setup of that movie is you see Bond getting his mission, and you see his Russian counterpart, a woman, getting her mission. 
and you see the Russian version of M, but the Russian headquarters is this crazy old building and there's just a solitary chair in the background (laughs) and if you haven't seen it recently it might not mean anything to you but when you get to it you'll see it and you'll go oh it's just fascinating there's no reason for it to be there but just to just fill out this crazy set and i yeah ken adam there you go there's he's my bond ken adam is absolutely a genius and um so much of what we think of bond is down to him and there's a few key people through the series like maurice binder i would argue who does the opening credits uh until he dies basically so i think he does them up through the 80s he is prone to phone it in a bit though like in this (laughs) film This film, you phoned it in. <laughs> well, first of all, what struck me about this film, and it shows that I'm being a little bit male-gazy, I don't know, but the women in this film have the most triangular pointy breasts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's silhouette. just late, late 60s fashion striking again. But it's it's like that they're, 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 you know, on a 90-degree angle. They're kind of on their knees sort of leaning back, and you've just got these, like, pointy, pointy boobs. You know, as someone who's never had tiny boobs, I'm just in awe of, of, <laughs> of boobs that can be triangular. You know, mine are very much in the spherical domain. And uh, <laughs> anyway, so that fascinated me. But I also like the way that they, they're tying together the Connery era to George Lazenby by showing – all of those, you know, great criminals and henchmen and girls that you loved, they all apply to this guy because he's this guy. He's the same guy. But the one criminal they don't show is Blofeld from You Only Live Twice. This is the thing about this movie. It's the second in what they called the Blofeld trilogy of novels, which was Thunderball, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, and then You Only Live Twice. But they decided to film You Only Live Twice first because they were having trouble finding suitable alpine sites to film all the ski stuff because it takes us up up in the mountains so they decided to ramp up you only live twice and of course bond meets blofeld in that they have a whole confrontation and then blofeld escapes and then in this one they meet again and bonds in disguise and they just don't mention it i was going to say yeah like like it it is bizarre that both of these people i mean sure both of the actors have changed. So technically they look different from the previous film, but that's not supposed to be the case in universe, I assume. It's supposed to be Bond from the last movie and Blofeld from the last movie. So they're looking right at each other. Like, <laughs> you know who each other, who, who you are. There's also the weirdness of there's the, uh, you know, this never happened to the other fellow line. Yes. Which, which supposedly was, uh, the, the making of I saw was apparently he was he would say that. Oh, you know, I'm sure they were, it was cracking them all up on the set. Yeah, you know, he'd be doing some stunt or something, or they'd get him to, you know, he'd be have him doing the kind of things that you need to do on a movie, like stand around and wait for the light to be right. <laughs> and he would apparently crack wise with, oh, this never happened to the other fellow. And then they, so they got to filming that scene and were just like, yeah, just say that stupid line you've been saying. Yeah. But then it doesn't really gel because they then take great pains to point that this is the same guy. Like when he cleans out his desk. Yes, I love And that. pulls out a memento that he's kept from all his adventures and pauses to listen to a bit of the music of them. <laughs> the relevant but, musical. So he pulls but, out Honey Rider's belt and knife. Yeah. Somehow he Which, has, Why does he have yes. them? Well. She was stripped of all that stuff in Dr. No. Yeah, which they then put blew up. But yeah, he, and then the whole thing blew up, but somehow he got He has the strangle watch that the Russian hitman, yes. the Spectre hitman had, Red which Grant he again to. probably shouldn't have. Yep. He's got his breather from Thunderball, so okay, that works. And there's uh, the little person who's sweeping the floor, whistles 
Goldfinger. Yeah. Did you pick up on that? Oh, Absolutely. is that what he was whistling? Yeah. So there's all these references and 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 uh, touchstones to the former Bond, but then this whole film has such a different tone to certainly to You Only Live Twice and the director Peter Hunt very much talks about because he'd been an editor on previous Bond films and said after You Only Live Twice, I don't want to be an editor anymore, I want to direct. And so the producers, Cubby Broccoli and Harry Saltzman said, okay, you can direct the next one. And he was kind of committed to doing the most realistic version of the book that he could because he thought the book was so good. And the book had been released after Dr. No was released. So it kind of was in that Bond hitting the zeitgeist time. He also brings just a crazy style to this. It is so amazingly shot. This is the guy. So he was the editor on, like, he's the guy who edited that train fight on From Russia With Love. Mm. And so many of the scenes in this are just so edited so quickly with all those tiny quick cuts, you know. I I noticed that in the fight scenes, yeah. Yes, the fight scenes. But then also scenes like, I think maybe the best scene in the movie is the one where he's trying to lose them in the town at the bottom of the mountain. Oh, yeah, yeah. It shouldn't work. Because there's all these quick, not even a second cuts of just like crowd and then bond and then the hench people and then bond and then Mm. a balloon and then that bear comes and scares him. And it's just (laughs) it's just all these shots. But then the longest shot you then get is you see all these like people skating on, on the ice. And then you see her skate into frame and that like yeah. pan up and he's found her. It's that was just, great. It's mm. so well edited and so differently shot. Like there's all these shots that you've never seen before in James Bond and that you wouldn't see for most of the Roger Moore ones. Like, did you notice that there's a reverse shot from Money Penny's side of her office? Oh, I hadn't so, even thought about that. So he said about doing this really different thing where almost all the sets you see the ceilings. But yes. Like M's M's office is shot really differently than it has before. And Money Penny's office. And there's a lot of car stuff that's actually filmed in cars. And there's like the helicopter that Bond takes up to the mountain. I'm almost certain is shot in the actual helicopter because you get this light through the window that you wouldn't normally get. He's doing lots of crazy stuff. It, mm. It's it's a guy that's been told like, yeah, okay, you can direct a movie, and has just gone, great. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to put the camera here, and why can't we do this? And it's just it's it's one of those rare things that you don't get that often. And it's one of those things with a lot of those skiing shots, all of that yes. you know that fantastic skiing action. Because I, I was watching a featurette on the making of, and they showed how they got a lot of that sh- the the front on skiing action is they had this Olympic skier whose name I have misplaced, but he was employed to they taught him how to hold a camera, like imagine a box sized camera you hold with two hands because this sure, yeah. guy could ski forwards backwards inside outside. So you've got I guess in some shots you've got George Lazenby because he could ski a bit apparently. I suppose he came from Queanbeyan, so that's not far from the <laughs> snowfields. <laughs> but obviously then the stuntman and he would be skiing backwards down the mountain wow. with the camera facing, you know, Lazenby or the stuntman. So he wouldn't know where he was going backwards, but he'd be able to kind of turn and stop himself and flick around so quickly because he was, you know, this amazing Olympic skier. And that's how they got some of those and then the other way how they got the 
the aerial shots was they put a cameraman in a harness underneath the helicopter. So imagine this big like spider's web that they put under a helicopter. The helicopter would rise up and the guy would get in this harness and he would just be pulled up into the air, almost like imagine a paraglider now. And he's just, the helicopter's flying. It's got to fly high enough so that its uh, rotors don't affect the snow on the ground. So it's flying up high and he's then getting these fantastic wide shots of people skiing down mountains and all of this stuff. And the director, Peter Hunt, said to this cameraman, oh, how does it feel up there? Because, you know, you're just hanging in space. And he said, I feel like God. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Knowing knowing this this film series uh, track records with cameramen and helicopters, I'm glad he uh, came back with all these appendages. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Well, and this is the thing, you sort of see a lot of this stuff and which is why a rewatch is good because, as Nick says, you see stuff that has never happened before in Bond films, Mm. you know, when you look at them in order and then you look at things that were totally new and invented for this film that probably hadn't been done in any film before. But now you kind of look at it and go, oh, yeah, a wide shot of people skiing down a mountain. I assume they just put a helicopter, a camera in a helicopter and sent it up but it's a lot more involved than that and a lot more impressive. Yeah, definitely. And it's fascinating. And you're right, Nick, uh, you mentioned this earlier. It's the idea that the series has always been vaguely self-referential from from Russia With Love on, but this is the first Bond film to sort of sit down and say, okay, what is a Bond film? And and what works? What doesn't? What what are we changing? We're, we're changing the lead. We're doing something different this time. How are we going to comment on the series as a whole? You know, and, and that happens, that, that seems to happen every time they cast a new actor. I, I think in Roger Moore's run, they, they, they get a bit self-referential. You might, you, you would have a better idea than me at this point. Sort of about halfway through Roger Moore's run, I think they sort of do a bit of a, a look back and say, what are we, what are we doing here? Oh, you know? I mean, Roger, Roger Moore's one just goes, it goes insanely off the rails. <laughs> but I, I think what they did here, though, was a weird mix that I don't think they did, they wisely didn't do again was, uh, I mean, because they didn't, they didn't know if they could change the actor. So they, they on one hand, they've got a, a fresh new guy who never directed a movie before or had, you know, at, at least had never directed a Bond before, mm. doing some really cool different stuff and, you know, he's making a bit more serious and all this kind of stuff. But on the other hand, I think they were panicking that, that oh, but it's a different guy. What are people going to think? So they make sure they sandwich in all this Connery stuff and including, mm. like, like the opening titles. I think that's what that is. I think it's them going, like, well, we need to remind people that it, it is an actual James Bond movie. That's very true, yeah. And I was really interested to, to see that. Is this the – this this is definitely the first. Is this the only instrumental Bond theme? Well, Dr. No and From Russia With Love opened with instrumentals. Yeah. Oh, did they? Oh, yeah, because I guess that the song from Russia With Love closes that movie, doesn't it? That's right. Right, so, okay. But it's the four, I think it's the last one that ever is a instrumental. Right. And it's because they didn't want to write a song with, on Her Majesty's Secret <laughs> yes, yes. Service is the Bond guy. And I suppose they hadn't got round to the to idea of having songs that don't have the name of the movie in them. Maybe they also panicked and thought they really needed the, like they could have used the We Have All the Time in the World, but they thought they needed it for that, you know, amazing montage. <laughs> <laughs> we must talk about that uh, courtship montage. Well, should we go into our one-minute challenge, which is where Stu and I always uh, put a minute on the clock and try and write down everything we remember about the film? And, of course, we did start going through this in the recording that I did not record. So <laughs> if we sound like we might have said this before and haven't, it's because we're trying to remember what we said before. I'll start with the first item on my list was George Lazenby and his accent, which was <laughs> Good. 
I mean, I mean, it, it, it wanders. It's a wandering accent. Do you know that for the bit where he is pretending to be Sir Hilary Bray, the expert from the London College of Arms, the one who's sent to assess Blofeld, because the plot is Bond is still trying to find Blofeld and Spectre. It turns out Blofeld has been hiding in the Swiss mountains under the uh, assumed title Count Balthazar Beauchamp, which is uh, French for Blofeld, apparently. Yeah, I was, uh, I, I, that, that confused me. I was like, what? <laughs> he says it as if it's like completely obvious. Yeah. So Bond goes undercover as this uh, arms expert, not not weapons, but coats of arms. Actual spycraft out of Bond, which is always good. Yeah, and he goes to assess that Blofeld actually has missing earlobes because this family, the Beauchamps, never have earlobes. There's a lot of leaps that this film takes. <laughs> it's not that he's just been sitting up there. He wants this title so badly that he's willing to let a stranger into his his headquarters into his where, evil where yes. he <laughs> was evil there. Also, he can get this title recognised by the uh, the Heraldry Association and potentially showing the world his evil scheme of stealing allergic <laughs> farmers' daughters. Yes. <laughs> Which, now I've said it, I need to... I had missed this the first time. But, look, a casual viewer just goes, oh, okay, he's kidnapped some girls or he's lured some girls here and he's going to send them off with some chemical warfare to, you know, kill off wildlife and plants. Hmm. He's actually somehow found people who work and live on farms (laughs) who are allergic to the things they're farming... Because the girl with the chickens yeah. says, "I grew up on a chicken farm." I think they've told her. Now you're a, you're a you were you're from a farm town, and so she's gone. Oh, okay, so I'll talk like this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's from Lancashire. So he's found girls from all over the world who are credited. Some of them are credited as American. I saw that. Australian. Yeah, yeah. There's the Australian Chinese, one. Yeah. Did you hear the Australian Indian. girl's line? She does give quite a good like. Oh yeah, no, back home. Yeah, you definitely hear it. Uh, oh wow. In the in the uh, Alpine room. So they have to be from different parts of the world. They have to live or work or have grown up on a place where they have access to the actual produce, and they have to be allergic to get them here. So he can send yes. them back to their hometowns. <laughs> it's really is something. It's very convoluted. And but it also says something that it doesn't stop the film dead in its tracks, at least for me. The, the film blows then, right past it. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. And, and also they are, all have to be hot 20-something-year-old women. Yes. Well, yes. <laughs> it's a Bond film. Wait, yes. what, why do they have to be again? And doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> It's a Bond film. Can you imagine? Because the woman, the, the Lancashire chicken allergist is, um, or allergy sufferer, talks about how... I used to break out all over. You wouldn't <laughs> believe where. <laughs> <laughs> and she she says, oh, the doctor in town talked about this marvellous specialist clinic and they treat you for free because they were researching. Like, imagine being someone with an aller- allergy to you know, I don't know, bees or gluten or I don't know. But you happen to be a 50-year-old man who's seen a lot in life and is a bit of an asshole. And you're like, hey, can I come up to your clinic? I'm happy to be treated for free for research purposes. And they're like, well, are you 22? No. Are you a, a hot woman? Mm-hmm. Well, no. Sorry, this is a very specialised treatment. <laughs> and also, if I can just bring up, I don't know that hypnotherapy would cure allergies. 
Yeah, there, there seems to be. Well, there, there seems to be a little bit of like, is there actually like drugs involved, or is it literally just? You don't see cassette tapes, Stu. It's the cassette tapes and the glowing lights on the wall. cassette tapes. It's essentially a sleep easy, you know, nighttime app. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's the calm and, app, yeah. And the other thing is, they give at dinner when they're all having dinner with Bond and he's in his kilt and whatnot. They're all given the meal that they're allergic to. Yes. No, no, no. Sorry, yes. Cindy. No, you can't have any chicken. Yes. You're going to have potato five ways. Yeah. (laughs) Like, imagine living there going, I I just have to eat the food that, like, I can't can't have potatoes and veggies and maybe a bit of lamb or or beef. There's no option for some variety in my meal. I just You will will be having chicken. The poor Indian girl just has a naan. She just has a naan. (laughs) That's all she has on her plate. I actually had a horrible coming into this movie. I I was going, oh no, because I thought there was some worse stuff. I was pretty sure that the African American girl was eating fried chicken in my memory. Oh, was it? And you I thought, remember oh, the chicken stuff, and yeah. I thought it was that, and I was like, oh, they do this whole like the Chinese girls eating rice, but then it kind of fits in the pot, I guess. Yeah, well, they I have to go back to where it's produced. Yeah, and your dominant food group of your local yeah. area, um, and obviously. <laughs> Lancashire is known for chickens. Yeah. It makes as um, much sense as an evil plot based around mesmerism can. I also love that Blofeld's really hands-on hands in this film. So where in the last one it was all like, open shutters, yes. open shutters. You know, <laughs> prepare the bay doors, prepare the bay doors. In this one, in this one, he's just putting in the cassettes himself. he's he's very hands-on you're right yeah but later on he puts on the skis and goes chasing bond yeah yeah i was yeah i wanted to talk about that actually a bit later well i wanted i wanted to talk about blowfelt in this movie because i actually really love the previous like like not the previous version specifically but the the idea of blowfeld as the the hands-off mastermind yeah the the open the open the bear doors like i love i love that stuff (laughs) <laughs> um this this Blofeld I'm not I'm not into. I I I, really? I I like the idea like like he's obviously a Bond villain, but this wasn't Blofeld to me. Like like this wasn't the the secret mastermind head yeah. of Spectre. This is this is like a, a Richard Branson type. Yeah. You know, he's like he's like I've I've come up with my cassette tapes and uh I I will train these these women to take over the world. Ha ha ha. Now, the now best and henchman money can buy. Yes. This guy even has the Olympic rings embroidered on yes. his henchman yes. outfit for some reason. <laughs> for what? some reason. I'm pretty sure they they're not allowed to do that, but it wasn't yeah. just Grunther. There were a few of them who had the Olympic rings. Yeah, I'm and sure I, I thought... so, so I I went googling cuz I was like, "Oh, had Switzerland just held the Olympics? No. <laughs> no, they hadn't. That's what it I was assumed. like 30 I years it was like a, a, Yeah, I assumed it was like a holdover. Like there was obviously like an Olympic feel to it and it was just nothing. No, no link at all. No. Wow. Mm. That's crazy. I, I wonder if it was a sort of a character thing that they went, you, Grunther, are now working for Blofeld with this crazy plot, but once you were a champion. Swiss skier. Yes, yes. And you need to hold on to that. So you wear that 30-year-old jacket. <laughs> I suppose they did have a bobsled race. Yeah. A bobsled course. So I maybe... guess he could – maybe he's on the Swiss team. Yeah. <laughs> maybe the good people from Cool Runnings. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that's the only... had a bobsled team. That's the only bobsled <laughs> reference I know. <laughs> 
Well, I did have Telly Savalas next on my one-minute challenge list because I really enjoy him. He's got this real – he's got much more of a suaveness to him. See, but I, I don't like that at all. It's definitely weird for Blofeld, but yeah. he's kind of gone – you know, the arrow has swung totally in the opposite direction from the fairly camp Donald Pleasance, oh, yes, I'm – you know, slightly camp villain of You Only Live Twice to this very suave, self-assured, oh, yes, I'm a count – I'll say your account. <laughs> I feel it in my veins. Yes, I feel it in my blood. Well, fine. Here you go. There's a line of his that doesn't really doesn't really make any sense, but I love it is where he goes. This time, the price is of another kind. You will be even more amused when you know what. But meanwhile, I will keep you here as my guest. <laughs> it's like, what does that mean? And you never do find out the price. Like, yes. Is that yeah. what he tells Bond? Yes. He says, he says, this time the price is of another kind. <laughs> You'll be yes. even more amused when you know what. But it never never factors in. Do you think Blofeld knows it's Bond from the beginning? Because, of course, you know, they met in You Only Live Twice. And, uh, you know, halfway through the film, they trick him. Because Bond, of course, and we'll get to Tracy next, but, of course, he spends the first half hour of the film sort of falling in love with Tracy de Vincenzo. Immediately, the, when he's up at the chalet, the institute... He just starts shagging all the girls. Yes. Well, he's still James Bond, you know. He's still James Bond, and it's a Hillary Gay. So well, this is the thing. This is the thing, and I think you pointed this out, Nick, uh, in the recording that never was. For some reason, all the girls up there think he's gay. Yeah, he he doesn't fall over them the second he's introduced to them, and then he just talks nerdily and bores them to death. There's a wonderful little detail I noticed on this last watch, where to show how much time has passed, as it it does a little kind of like you know he starts going, well, the thing about heraldry is, and then it fades. And as it fades to the new shot, one of the henchmen is lighting new candles. <laughs> so he's been talking so long, the candles have all burnt. But then, yeah, there's all the little, they, they, they say things like, um, of course, I know what he's allergic to. And you know who that is, of course. Joanna Lumley. Joanna Lumley. Is yes. it really? That's yeah. Crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah. that She went on after this film to go and star in the new Avengers, I think. Oh, so, of course. Well, well, had, had the Avengers already happened by this point? Yeah, so Diana yes. Rick's been Emma Peel yes. in the Avengers, uh, but then they did a spin-off in the 70s called oh, The New okay. Avengers, and Joanna Lumley was in that. But, now, um, yeah. I, in my notes, called this section, so Hillary Gay slash gold member? Because there was a line that I couldn't work out what it meant, and I've only just worked out what it means, where he's talked to them, and then he goes to the first girl's room, and she's, like, all over him, and he's saying, well, I normally don't like girls. And then she pulls off his little kilt bag, and his kilt drops to the ground, Mm. and she goes, it's true. And I was like, is there some line I'm forgetting? Is there something like men with kilts are bigger or something? Well, no, no, no. Then I realised what what it is. What does a Scotsman wear under his kilt? Nothing. Oh, see, okay, that makes more sense. What I (laughs) thought it was referenced to is that earlier over dinner, he says to them, oh, the shields can have lots of things. Mine has four besants. And they go, what are besants? And he says, gold gold balls. And and one of them makes some crack and he says uh, they like oh I wonder if there are or something and so I thought he drops kilt and she's going like it's true <laughs> you have four golden gold balls. balls I love that that's where your mind went to <laughs> to be fair my mind first went to there's some kilt saying that I've forgotten 
and yes, then struggling to make sense of it, I went, "Oh, it's a callback to the golf ball." <laughs> oh, Lordy, I'm crying. Um, <laughs> well, that's why you wear your sporran, which is the the bag on the front of the kilt, because it keeps the kilt down in uh, windy oh. circumstances. So you don't Marilyn Monroe, uh, yeah, yes. you know, the room. Uh, Why and, was he in a kilt? Because they, they introduced some some uh, Scottish background for James Bond because yes. of the Connery connection. But he's playing the head of the heraldry yeah. thing. Who I assume must be Scottish. Bray must be a Scottish I, name. Maybe? Uh, I guess Bray. Yeah, Bray sounds Scottish. Also, weirdly, earlier on you see Bond's, what do you call it, crest, which has besants. Yes. It has he points out the besants then. And the the Bond family motto, the world is not enough. Well, is not um, enough. Uh, yeah, that's weird. So they, they both have peasants on their crests. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I need to share the story that while we're on the topic of him pretending to be gay, there's this story that Lazenby, and I don't trust Lazenby. He gives a lot of interviews, more than you should for <laughs> someone who's did one movie. 50 years ago. There's this story he has told multiple times, which is that when he was hired, because he used to be a male model, the producers thought that he might be gay because, oh, all male models are gay. (laughs) So he says that he was, in his quote, he says, I was in this holding cell. Oh, it was a nice apartment that they were keeping me in while I was preparing to take on the role. And a guy called John, who he describes as, used to be a boxer, John, they sent him around with a girl to check out if I was gay. So in his story, (laughs) if he's to be believed, the producers of the film were so concerned that they hired a sex worker and a former boxer called John. You can imagine what he's like. (laughs) And they, they sent them over to his apartment. And John sat in the corner of the room and he had a good night. As he said, you've got no idea what I went through. But at the end of the day, it wasn't that tough. That is insane. The 60s. That's the nuts. The 60s. Wow. That's so nuts. <laughs> so it was like a honey trap, a Bond yeah. honey trap for the new yeah. Bond. Wow. Yeah. I, like, like, it's definitely something that I can believe the producers of these movies would do. Yeah. Because <laughs> I like, know that the other story. Just imagine you're just like, you all good, John? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Can I get you something? Yeah. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Toast, a uh, cup of coffee. You know, do you want the TV guide? You can, you just... can give me some proof, Mr. Lazenby. <laughs> <laughs> that wow. is just unreal. Nice. Like, I was watching in the featurette about the film, The Making Of. Yeah, that story didn't make the, fe- the official featurette, <laughs> curiously. <laughs> But they did talk about how the producers were, because the director liked him and other people liked him, but the producers sort of had to be convinced. So they wanted to see how well he did with fight scenes and fight training. And so they went up to the set and they were doing some fighting and they had this old Russian wrestler, well, not old, but like a ex-Russian wrestler working with Bond on some fight fight scenes. And Lazenby hadn't quite learned how to hold or pull his punch, you know, convincingly pull his punch. So because the producers were there and they went, okay, let's fight. And he just like wailed on this guy and he knocked (laughs) out. He punched out this Russian wrestler and the producers were like, okay, we'll go with you. (laughs) He convinced them that he could be physical enough. So Take uh, take the boy out of Queen Bean. (laughs) (laughs) And he doesn't sound Australian now remotely. He sounds American. Yeah. Which is strange. It's not quite clear 
to me anyway exactly who decided he wouldn't do any more films. Well, this story he's told several times. Yes, but, I, I've heard this story too, yeah. So the way he always tells it is, it was, it was 69 and, you know, and I was going to restaurants and everyone had long hair and cool clothes and I, here I was looking like some square. And then he had this manager or advisor of the time who is the guy who invented pirate radio in <laughs> the UK. Rory O something. He recently passed away, like uh, just a few weeks ago. And this yeah. guy, this this you know hippie pirate radio guy, was just like George. You know, well, you know, I I imagine it's like George. You know, Bond's dead, man. Bond's dead. You know, you don't want to be stuck doing that. <laughs> this and isn't so going to be a beloved film franchise that no. lasts for fi- over fifty years. And he just went, yeah, no. No, I'm not going to do that. And the the next thing he made was this movie, this low budget movie with the, that Rory guy. I think produced or like had a cameo in. So he kept doing movies, but they were just you know in the movie he's some like arms runner and he's got a beard and long yeah. hair and he, yeah. he made his bed. <laughs> It's so strange because he turned up, they wanted him to like shave and get a haircut for the premiere, but he'd already announced at that point, you know, it was already known that this was going to be his only film. So he rocked up with like long hair and a beard. Yeah. Mm. He just rejected it outright straight away. But then in the making of, he talks about how, because he was only 28, 29 when he did this role. So he was, I guess, by then 10 years younger than Sean Connery, who just left the franchise. He says in the making of that he, when he looks back at a lot of what he said, he probably had a lot more growing up to do before he took on that role. Yeah. Really? Mm. And he talks about being on the set and how they How, how old was he in this movie again? 29. 28. That is 29. he he has oh, he yeah. has the leathery leatheriest face <laughs> of a 29-year-old I have ever seen in my life. Part of that would be makeup, but also part of that would be no sunscreen in Australia yeah, for That's 20 true. Years. That's this this true. will dawn on you as you keep going on this Bond journey, Stu, but he's still young enough in this movie to easily easily be Roger Moore's son when Roger Moore was still making his movies. <laughs> Roger Moore makes his last movie at 58. Yes. Yeah. Well, he Roger Moore is older than Sean Connery, so when he starts, he's older yes. than Sean Connery. Yeah, he'd be probably 40 when he starts. He talks about during filming that the producers got a whole bunch of reporters. He said every day he'd have to talk to another reporter because everyone wanted to have interviews with the um, new James Bond. And so he kind of was built up. I think he probably had like an ego boost of all these reporters going, oh, but what about this? And they talk about how a lot of those stories turned into trouble on set stories. Mm. Right. The day that he and Diana Rigg were filming their love scene or the scene where he proposes and they're in the barn, it's all very romantic and uh, probably very cold, Uh, but (laughs) she wanders past him in the cafeteria or something and yells out, I'm eating garlic for lunch today, I hope you are too, or something like that. Mm. And that got taken as a, you know, she chews garlic before kissing George Lazenby, they're not getting on. And he said, oh, we seem to be getting on. But then I've read quotes from Diana Rigg talking about how he was incredibly arrogant and... What the hell was he thinking giving up this part so soon? So there's definitely really interesting stories there. I'd I'd love to find a a documentary with Diana Rigg in it. It's funny, too, because the vibe that you then get from him in the film, I feel like, you know, Connery seemed like he was quite over it. I just had this, like, picture in my mind of Connery, like, like, I think in the last movie, Connery's, like, sitting at the sumo wrestling and just has that kind of, like, frown, that Connery (laughs) frown, as if he's just been, like, he's he just feels over it. I'm probably projecting. (laughs) 
But Lazenby walks through this film like he's happy to be there. Yeah. <laughs> like Bond is like more chipper. He's not like... He doesn't have that weariness as, to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, he, he takes a lot of things on the chin. You know, there's that scene where um Tracy and her dad are having a fight and it's all above Bond. Bond is just there making, like, cra- cracking one-liners. And, <laughs> That's you know, right. They're having, he doesn't seem bothered by it. <laughs> He's just like... <laughs> That's, he's, just, he's just happy to be there. Yeah. That's a good time to bring up to go back to my one minute challenge because next on my list was Diana Rigg and uh, questionable questionable parenting styles. <laughs> it's you know it's, wow. worth, it's 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 a one step beyond Tiger Mum I guess. Yeah. Well, Dragon Dad, Draco. <laughs> yeah. <Or> Draco. <laughs> they call him Draco. She needs a, she yeah, needs a man right. to dominate her. Yes. Her dad says, "Don't you want to see the the prequel?" Whereas his father, as her father describes, she joined the fast international set, one scandal after another. <laughs> it sounds like a really good spin-off TV show. It yeah. does. Like, you know. The Adventures of Tracy de Vincenzo. Yeah. She's such a good Bond girl, Bond woman, Bond character. And I think, Stu, you were mentioning in the recording that never was uh-huh. that she is not remembered as fondly as, say, a pussy galore. And that probably is because this movie is not remembered as well or not. Absolutely, yeah. The thing that startled me about this was that, uh, I mean, I, I had not, I haven't seen this movie like all the way through ever. Um, I've seen like clips from it and all that sort of thing, but I hadn't really seen a lot of her in this movie. She's great. She's yeah. awesome. She's easily one of the best Bond girls. And, you know, like, like she obviously, she has to be because, you know, she's the one who finally wins Bond's heart. But it's astonishing how good she is. But she starts off attempting suicide by walking into the ocean in this incredibly glamorous kimono-sleeved gown. Well, that's right, exactly. I, I was a bit confused by all that at the start because I was like, I was like, I'm not sure you think that she might be in trouble or that she's... But, but it, it basically just seems like she's depressed. Yes. Like, it's just... It, it's it's a weirdly a very realistic portrayal of mental illness. But, but there's no... That's the thing. Even Bond says she needs a psychiatrist. Yeah. <laughs> and her dad's like, no, 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 you don't understand. She just needs a man she to... She just needs to be slapped around a little and she'll be that fine. That she can fall in love with well, and she'll be okay. Father knows dad. Her dad gives the line where he's like, behind her bravado, something was eating away at her soul. This can happen. You know, they live too greedily and then suddenly all is finished. <laughs> oh, also, she married an Italian count who killed himself in his Maserati with one yes, of his absolutely. mistresses. So, you know, she might be a little <laughs> bit not on her game. Um, but no, she's she's just so good. She's such a breath of fresh air after some of the, the Connery women. And then, you know, there's no one like her for 20 years in the Bond films. Yeah. One, she completely holds her own. She, she does the getaway driving scene. Yes. That's all her. In he, the he makes, cars. Yeah. Like, he makes one, you know, crack about, you know, like, good girl or something. But she does that. She helps get him out. And apparently um, she did most of the driving herself in the wow. actual filming. And then she, it's also on the, like, on the romantic side, she initiates every kiss. She's the one who's pulling him into bed and not in that kind of like, oh, yo, James, just kind of getting lost in his eyes kind of thing. She's the one that is kind of in charge for a lot of that. When he gives her the money, when she's, in, you know, uh, yes. you know, over her head in the casino, he says, oh, you don't owe me anything. And she's like, I pay my debts. And then like leaves him in bed with. I feel for even 1969 is a very, he wakes up and she's the one who's left. She's, you Mm. know, paid him the money back and, and left him. It's, it's, you know, it's not an amazing win for feminism, but 
she's just a really <laughs> hey hey <laughs> judging by the sliding scale of these movies it yes is, it is fantastic she's great yes <laughs> yeah. yeah she's a complex it's, it's character really and she's not yeah. like she's kick-ass but she's not like i'm a highly trained sas super spy agent no, she, she's just a, like, she's just a, a, a basic competent person you could have the reading that then it really sucks that she then dies it oh it you does could read that as i mean obviously it sucks but like you could read that as the film thing of like she's being punished for being i i could see how someone could make that argument but i don't think that's the case here yeah i don't um, that that's I mean, definitely you know, not what the film's doing but but it's, it's a really early example of fridging where yeah you, kill off uh, the, the female love interest just to give the male motivation. But having said that, it, it ties into to her, the themes of she, she has this fatalism throughout all, most of the movie that then she finally gets over by falling in love and, and marrying James. And she says, you know, finally, you, you know, you've given me something to live for. Yeah. And then she dies, which is obviously, you know, dramatic irony. There are real parallels with then Vespa Lind in Casino mm. Royale. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kind of like a, another person who's at his level, if not above him, you know, a couple of steps ahead of him. And, and apparently then, yeah. in the book of On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which a lot of critics kind of say it, it's one of the few Bond books that shows a fair bit of like Bond's emotional side. And apparently mm. in the book, he actually visits Vespa Lind's grave, which he does ah. fairly regularly. Yeah. I'm not sure of how regularly that is, but uh, apparently it's not an uncommon occurrence for him to visit Vesper's grave. So, no, I think I think it's yes, she she has to die so that Bond can continue on as the the bachelor super spy. But it's a nice concept to flit with. And again, you know, Daniel Craig does it in, in Casino Royale with Vesperlind as, as the reboot version is mm. how do you transition out of life as a spy? And he says that to her in their love scene. He's like, I think I want to find something else to do, as we're being mm. chased through the Swiss Alps by. And, and you, and you, you believe it? Like it's not mm. just him saying like, oh yeah, sure, I can give this up. I, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, th- I think it works. I think it works. And then you know, if I mean, we're all we're talking about the death. So like, it, it's any acting problems he has early on, just that last scene, he yeah. just really pulls off. Oh, just that every single time, just that you know, you've got that lone police on a bike coming up who doesn't say anything doesn't need to say mm. anything and he's he's and also he's... weirdly overweight but anyway that would... yes and <laughs> maybe it's cubby broccoli <laughs> it, it might have been but then he doesn't you know what he says is not logical but then it shouldn't be because he's in shock um well, yeah, yeah he, he's but it's also not shock. like it's not overwrought no and it's not unbelievable it's yeah. a, a level of like, oh, no, it's okay. See, we've got all the time in the world. I just said it. Yeah. yeah. It's that moment, like he knows she's dead mm. and almost like he's trying to convince himself not or just in denial. Yeah. Or it's a, just trying to just saying like, leave me. It's I, I need another minute with her before yeah. I start to accept. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's 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 really good. And they just, you know, they have just that little bit of restraint of. You know that holding on the bullet hole and yeah, you know, with this just strains of you know before they kick in with the da <laughs> for a minute they have restraint and then they and I, I have that on my on my one minute challenge was the tragic happy ending or the happy tragic ending and I'm not sure mm. which which descriptor is better, but it's such a, a sad moment and there's no music to it there's no overall kind of emotional heartstring it's just this sort of bleak shock of no and apparently it did make a lot of people cry like a lot of some critics wrote about how they left, you know, shattered by this. Mm. Like, oh, wow, Bond's going to have a future doing something else, get out of this crazy business, and then it's all taken away like that. 
Now, I think our recording were, that wasn't featured us talking about the decision to keep this bit at the end of this mm. film because the director, Peter Hunt, was planning to have Bond and Tracy, you know, with that beautiful wedding scene with the crazy flowers that was shot on an estate in Portugal. There's like this rich family that loaned the producers their estate to film all this stuff for Draco. And that happens in every single one of these films, by the way. There's always like some some rich millionaire loaned their their estate, yes. lo- loaned their pool full of sharks. Yes, and then they're they're in the film in the wedding sequence, like yeah, they're yeah. in the crowd scene. They, they and their family get to be extras. That's right. So the director Peter Hunt planned that they would you know drive away happy ending. And then he filmed the sequence of Tracy's death with the aim of it being the pre-credit sequence of Diamonds Are Forever, which right. was going to be the next one. And, but, and I said, I said, I thought that that is what should have happened. And you both think that that's not not right. You both like the downer ending. I like it, the downer ending. I can see it going both ways, but I must admit that it's such a different. And it suits the tone of the movie overall. Mm. It suits this snatched happiness kind of thing. Whereas I feel like it could have been reducing Tracy to a footnote in Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah. Would it have been like, oh, sure, here sure. I am with my wife. And she's like, oh, thanks, honey. And then bang, gone. And it was like, oh, oh. Kind of like how Austin <laughs> Powers kills off um, Elizabeth Hurley at the very start of And it makes a joke out of it. Yes, turns yeah. out she was always a, a fembot. She was a fembot all along. We, we, oh, we well. knew all along. Yeah. We didn't want to tell you. So I think that it gives her character the full arc and the full emotional punch being at the end of this movie. So I'm I'm happy that they went with that decision. But of course the practical reason they went with that decision is because they already knew Lazenby would not be coming back. So they couldn't use that scene at the start of Diamonds Are Forever. And what happens is and we'll get to this next week obviously, but they sort of have Bond's vengeance against Blofeld. So I think it makes a kind of sense. They reference it without being explicit. You you're right. I I thinking about it like like you're right that that there needs to be that all this needs to be wrapped up in this movie. Like and I think that's good. It's just it happens so quickly. And I guess that's that's part of its strength, but it just happens so quickly and then again we have a situation where the film just finishes. And, and you're right that they, they they let it sit for like two seconds and then it's dead and it's like okay well yeah all right <laughs> it's these old films that, that they have sensibilities that are just a little bit strange to like uh, watching from 2020 I think mm. I did find it interesting that Telly Savalas as Blofeld is driving the car and it's Irma Bunt with the, he's dro- with the neck he, brakes on he's got his he neck, brace neck on, brace on. that was great and she's the one doing the firing you know I would have thought that maybe it would be the other way around but I think there's something you know really interesting in that choice that it's a woman killing another woman it definitely well that, that's true I hadn't thought about that but it definitely suits this version of Blofeld who's very hands-on he's leading the the, the ski troops into battle like he's, yeah. he's putting in his own cassettes it reminds <laughs> you know? me of from Russia with love too with the, the stabby oh, yes. shoes oh yes yes very much a, a Rosa Klebs uh, redux and Irma Bunt in the novels I think is supposed to be Blofeld's wife or like partner romantic partner but she's not in this one because, or well, if she is, Blofeld's totally trying to ditch her for Tracy when he captures <laughs> Tracy. And he just starts, like, smooching her hand and going, hey, I'll make you my countess. And she's like, oh, I'm already a countess, so screw you. It's, uh, it's <laughs> obviously a... Like there's a line I wrote down where he, he's going, oh, I'd be happy to get my feet on the ground. And she goes, not ground, ice. Yes. <laughs> And speaking, and speaking of I, ice. I love the voice you've chosen to, to say that in. <laughs> 
they had to build that heliport to that chateau as well as put in the cable car. So they found that location which existed. It either wasn't quite finished or had been a bit run down. And so they had to put in the helipad and put in the cable car up to it. And the facility's uh, Chekhov's wall spikes. Yes. <laughs> where you see them and you're like, hmm. They'll come back. That's someone's dangerous. Someone's going to get impaled. Yes, the shot, which is quite possibly my favourite shot of the film, if only for just genius silly mistakes, is when Bond comes sliding in on his stomach, firing the machine gun at the final attack. Yes. How good is it? I need to find that as a GIF, and if not find it, I'm going to have to make it because it's just the best. <laughs> my my favourite shot is in the storming of the base at the very end when a random scientist throws a bottle of throws acid, a bottle of acid, and then, and then just screams and faints. I don't even think he gets shot. I think no, he. No, I think does Bond shoot him or he? I don't think he does. I think. <laughs> All, all I saw was Why didn't he just wait a, for Bond to come through the door? That's a, I don't know. It's so I, I thought he like asphyxiated on the, the fumes of the acid. <laughs> it is a great final sequence. Well, let me get continue through my list and then we'll get through studios yes. and more things will come up. Because I wrote down crazy ski action sequences and we've talked a bit about that already, which is good. And we've talked about the women who are allergic. As you said, Nick, they all happen to be allergic. They all happen to be hot. <laughs> Uh, they all the have prob- to be farm girls. <laughs> That's right. The simple farm girls with their incredibly glamorous hairstyles. The blo- bobsled sequence, which is super fun, and uh, they rewrote, I was reading, they rewrote a bit of the script to accommodate some accidents that happened during filming. So like when Bond kind of comes out of the sled and slides along the edge of the sled run and then kind of gets back into his bobsled, they like went, oh, yeah, we'll just keep that and use that footage. <laughs> And also, the other thing, just wow. as a sidebar, they set off that avalanche. The avalanche in the film. I, I was about to say, I, I was looking at that going, I bet they set that off. They got a helicopter up there and dropped bombs of some description <laughs> and set off that. And then the director, oh, of course they're, they talk, did. they're talking about how they're like, oh, shit, and it's like two miles wide. <laughs> and they're like, oh, crap, it's <laughs> coming towards them. <laughs> Obviously, didn't get close enough. But, yeah, I just, like, that would never happen now. <laughs> Someone going, oh, we just like to go off and set up an av- set off an avalanche. Did they have to get like permission, or did they just do it? I don't know. I was just, uh, it was just in the making of where the guy goes, oh yeah, we took the chopper up and set off some bombs. <laughs> the sixties. And then, as I said, the happy ending, but also something really interesting about this film that goes back to that central theme of of wanting to strip it back and stay really close to the novel is, um, where are the gadgets? Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, well, well, Q, Q's and, in this movie, but only as like a he's he's not dispensing gadgetry like he normally does. He he really is. I think there to just maintain continuity that this is an M and, you know, it's all the same people. You recognize them because he's there with his radioactive lint at the start of the film, which is a bit piss weak, to be fair. And uh, we make the joke. We make the joke that um, he always has a bunch of stuff that happens to come in very specifically handy during Bond's adventures. But this time, like he just mentions radioactive lint. That never comes up again. Well, the only other mention of gadgets is just woeful should have been cut, which is at the end of the wedding where Q says, if there's anything you need, and he says, this time I have the gadgets and I know how to use them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he was referring to point. his uh, golden balls. <laughs> yes. Besants, please. Besants. 
James Bond's Besants. So yeah, that's my list, basically, apart from the fashion. Have we talked about the fashion? I know we talked about it in the bit I didn't record. He has some nice, very tight pants. That ski, that blue ski outfit that he gets into. Definitely a a stupid, sexy Flanders vibe to the whole thing. I was just about to say, it's very stupid, sexy Flanders. He also has a very, very tight shirt that's very see-through, but very frilly, as if yes. they've like used all the excess cotton on the frill and not on the rest of the shirt. But uh, yeah. Do you think that's... they had to keep wetting him down? You know, during that thing, <laughs> someone had to come out with a hose and just hose him down to keep the uh, the sodden shirt. You know, just to distract you that it's a different face. It's like no, no, yes. just trade on the um, very the slick. Shirt, yeah. Uh, well, Stu, do you want to go through your list a bit and see what else you came up with, given that Absolutely, you... Absolutely, uh... yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the, the first um, the first uh, item on my list was just uh, Lazenby, George Lazenby. We've, we've talked about him. <laughs> the second item on my list was just a stand-in. I just said, I just said frilly tux, because, uh, yeah, like, the, the fashions in this movie were just atrocious. <laughs> oh. like, like, after five movies in a row of pretty good fashions... You know, you've got that sort of early to mid 60s, you know, those really sharp suits that everyone was wearing. And, you know, we, we talked a bit that, you know, in the first movie, Bond's a bit of a Harry High Pants. But, um, <laughs> you know, certainly by Goldfinger, like, you know, everyone's in these very sharp mid 60s suits and, and, you know, everyone's wearing hats and, you know, it's very cool. It's very, it's very stylish. And Bond is obviously at the cutting edge of fashion. And the trouble is, the trouble on be, of being on the cutting edge of something is eventually you'll start cutting yourself because uh, they, they really <laughs> inflict them some self-wounds on, on, on the franchise in this it, movie. Just cravats as far as the eye can see. It's insane. It's so so many cravats. Casual cravats. I don't understand. <laughs> when he's at Very the, weird. The, the bullfighting in Portugal? Yes. Or the bull, yeah. <laughs> And, does, uh, does M have a cravat when we check in on him in his stately manner where he's yeah, tending he to does. his butterfly collection? He might, he might have an ascot. He might, that might be an ascot. Oh, oh, he has a green velvet, you know, dressing gown on or a lounging, <laughs> what do you call it, a smoking jacket. That looked, that looked, that looked, actually, to be fair, that looked very comfortable. I'm, I'm very uh, envious of those that smoking jacket. And um, that was the first time that you see M at home. Yeah. Yes, it was, it was a bit weird, wasn't it? Like to, to see him outside of the, the the wood panelled office. Yes. Well, apparently in the book he has a lot of references in M's house to um, I think his name is John Godfrey. I know his surname is Godfrey, who was Ian Fleming's, who he reported to his boss in his mental M. intelligence. His M. So he he has the same ship that he served on, and that's the bell at the front door. There's all these kind of Easter eggs. Um, right, referencing okay. Godfrey to M, but yeah, very interesting. And it's it's weird. There's a weird jump, I have to say, when Bond is taken off because he he threatens to resign, he threatens to quit. Yeah. And it's Money Penny who just goes with the memo. She changes it from "I'm tendering my resignation" to "I'd like two weeks leave, please." Yeah, <laughs> I like I like that. That's it was, I mean, it, it yeah, also that's some comes good up character there. stuff. I like that a lot. Yeah. It was so nice. She, and- she gets the best and the worst in this one. He actually grabs her, which is not good at all. But on the other hand, she, she does get to play that little nice, like, interplay between them. You know, like, making Bond so- think that he's resigning, but then also, like, you know, having him go, what would I do without you? Yes. Um, and and then knows- at the end, at the end, she has the nice, like, 
I think they tread the line where she's not... I like to think she's not crying because she, like, oh, I was going to marry him. It's just, like, like I'm happy for him, but also yeah. sad. They're, they're bittersweet tears. Like, like yeah. they're, they're what, what might have been tears. There's mixed yeah. emotions of I'm happy for him because she's clapping very enthusiastically with M and Q when they, you know... Yeah. But then there's that, this... And he gives that her... Man that man lovely... tormented her at work. Yeah. <laughs> for so many years. No, she's always been into it. Like, they've always had a very playful... They've had an extremely flirtatious relationship bordering on a HR nightmare. <laughs> um, but having said that, like, like you know, Lo- Lois Maxwell's Money Penny is is like the secret source in a lot of these films. Like she's just she's she's only in it for like usually a scene or two, but she's yeah. it's just that thing where you she shows up and you're like, ah, oh, Money Penny, that's awesome. She's she's yeah. still here. I love seeing her in this. You guys might have a, a different thought. I thought that she didn't have quite the chemistry with Lazenby that she did with Connery. No, oh. I would agree with that, but it's not bad. It's not yeah. bad, but but I definitely noticed a shift. We, we, I mean, there's always going to be when you switch out an actor, but she does go, oh, when he grabs her on grab the grabs her and kisses her. It's, yeah. yeah, which you know is not chemistry. That's just harassment. <laughs> but it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, look, yeah, it's it's probably it's not quite the same, but yeah, I, I don't know. Well, it worked. I certainly like Money Penny in this in this uh, in this movie. My, my, the, she was she was the final point on my on my list, which was just poor Money Penny. Yeah, uh, and also Wait, I he tosses I, over his hat at the end. I was gonna say it's the final it's the final sort of tag on the on the hat the hat stuff because that's yeah. been a runner through all the movies so far. And he even he even does it that they just they play it completely straight at the start where he just does the hat toss just mm. to sort of say hey no it's still Bond same Bond same guy actors change but it's the same, it's the same character and then at the end they pay it off that he throws a, his hat mm. and Q has that great line about it. he was always so careless with government property. <laughs> yes. um, I was going to say there is a, an odd kind of where the film sort of splits because the first half is this essential James Bond as uh, psychiatrist slash gigolo to the um, um, depressed, <laughs> jet-setting Tracy DiVincenzo. Like, yes. It's all about her dad trying to buy him off to go, I need you to have sex with my daughter and then marry her and dominate her, and that's what she needs. <laughs> and and this is such an unappealing prospect. I'll sweeten the pot with a hundred million pounds or a million pounds. <laughs> a million pounds. Look, she's only incredibly gorgeous and really interesting and then well-educated <laughs> and smart and funny, but I realise this is still an imposition, so here's a million pounds sweetener. <laughs> the amount that Tracy is awesome is only offset by them by how much her dad sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the way that she she's so good with Blofeld at the end and then she doesn't want to leave because Bond gets separated going after Blofeld and the dad set off explosives, a timer for explosives, and she knows she doesn't want to leave without Bond, and so he just clocks her in the face. <laughs> yeah. And then says, bear the rod. I'm like, did that need a tag? Like, come on. You know, couldn't you just bundle her into the chopper going, we've got a rendezvous point, he'll be fine, or something like that, and just <laughs> put her in there. But, yeah, just the slap to the face. <laughs> I suppose they need something quick, and there's no time to argue, so bam, in the face you go. Just... There are so many ways you can play that scene without it being like condescending and paternalistic like it is, but it's just, oh, it's so bad I, anyway. I wonder if that, I mean, I wonder if that was, because obviously that's got to be a part of, that's part of the novel, this whole pay bond to marry this woman. Yeah, I wonder if that's, you know, just like character stuff of, well, he's Portuguese. They would do this thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know what I mean? Like that's yeah, the, yeah, exactly, yeah. That's the uh, impression that you get is that there's some sort of well, that's just what these people are like. <laughs> I know what's best for my daughter. But the thing is, he wasn't really a good father. He talks about how in that scene that you mentioned, Nick, where he's he's talking to Bond and he mentions that uh, he fell in love with her mother because she came to Portugal looking for bandits. <laughs> they had Tracy and then she, the mother died when Tracy was about 12. And so he sent her off to Switzerland, I assume, a very fine boarding school. Yes. And then, of course, she fell in with the greedy rich. The, interna- uh, the international set. The international jet. <laughs> uh, and then all of a sudden he's like, well, now it's time to come in and do some fathering. Because uh, yes. I have every right. Because I packed her <laughs> off to a boarding school at 12. So now you're going to obey me. But, yes, the film kind of disjoins when they they have their montage. And can we just spend a moment talking about their, oh, their yes. beautiful Hallmark montage? Oh, yes. <laughs> They're, like, running on a beach and horse riding and... She's holding a cat. She's holding wearing a, a tux. <laughs> walking through in an extremely formal dress through, like, a park. Yep. And she's in a series of very cute 60s dresses, little slim 60s dresses. And they look at the ring that he later buys her. Yes. They do, yes. The Check wedding ring, the which ring. I think is very cool, weird ring. It's so yeah, weird. it's awesome. It's yeah. so very 60s. But then... They're driving around Burn or something where they go to look up this lawyer who knows about oh, – they go to raid the lawyer's office to find out information on Blofeld. And they're just sitting in the car with the father in between them, just kind of making moon eyes at each other. And then he goes, all right, I'm 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 off to check out the, uh, the lawyer. And he goes and robs the joint, and he's obviously got his assistant. And I never got that guy's name, the blonde-haired guy. They, who they, they up- never say it. They, they never, never say it. it. They, they don't, do they? They're like, because he just shows up, and you assume he's yeah. working with Bond, and he's obviously expect, like loyal yeah. enough that he like follows him up the mountain later. But yeah, yeah. You know. and was it me or did that guy sound Australian? The curly head blonde guy. Yes. When he's I yelling, at you're going, you can't let people not climb this mountain. Yeah. It's yeah. truth, crikey, mate. Now we can't brush over the combination safe cracker photocopier yes, yes. The, the, the very peak of 1969 spycraft i suppose that was the gadget wasn't it and the yeah. fact he picks up a playboy uh, not only picks it up steals the centerfold <laughs> steals the centerfold and, he, and he's rudely interrupted that's what i love is it's like you know just as he's getting to the Ugh. good bit the green lights start flashing just as he's about to start reading the articles <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's funny because what was I reading about? Um, Roald Dahl wrote a whole big article for Playboy about writing um, You Only Live Twice or was interviewed oh, by right. Playboy. So clearly it's connected with the franchise. Totally. But then after he raids that office, he leaves and then he just he, he turns up at M's house to go, well, I want to be reassigned to the mission. And then he goes up the mountain and then Tracy turns up at the village at the bottom of the mountain only because her dad's told her, oh, that's where he might be in that vicinity. Yes. So, I mean, that was incredibly lucky she happened to be ice skating. She brushes it off as he says, oh, your your new pursuit is sports. And she says, well, one sportsman, and my father told me where he'd be. I think she has said, like, she's thrown another, like, I was going to say tantrum, but she's gone, Dad, (laughs) I will leave unless you tell me where he's gone. And he's gone, oh, babe, please, please, Tracy, Tracy. Yeah. And then he's told her, and I think she's kind of there to 
rescue him. Yeah. Or, or to, to be there in case she can help because she's worried about him, I think. And there's a lovely moment as he's, as, as you were talking about Nick, possibly it wasn't recorded, but when he's, you know, we were talking about the directors and the really cool directing stuff and editing stuff in this film and the scene where he's escaped Blofeld's henchman and he's running through this village trying to hide and he's, he's put on a jacket, he's found a jacket and then he's racing through this skate rink and then he's kind of sitting down looking quite worried and a yeah. bit scared. Yeah, and in a, a way that we're not used to seeing Bond. He, he doesn't have an out. He doesn't have any communication. Mm. He keeps being spotted all the way through that scene, that really crazily edited scene, which I think is the best in the movie. Yeah, and then she skates up to him. It's it's really beautiful. And then yeah. that scene is also where the other original song is playing underneath it, some Christmas carol, because this... This is a Christmas movie. This is a Christmas movie. This yeah. is a Christmas movie. You even get Telly Savalas saying, Merry Christmas, 007. <laughs> <laughs> way, way more than Die Hard, this is a Christmas yeah. movie. It is. It absolutely is. He proposes that, on Christmas night. Yeah. And then he says, that's my New Year's resolution is, you know, basically Gosh. we're not going to sleep together until we're husband and wife. And then he sort of jolts the little bed thing that she's on yeah. and crashes her into him and goes, well, it's not New Year's yet and i actually was quite happy that happened because i was like but you've already slept together like yeah but she's quizzing him on how she's like what happened up that mountain he's going well for england <laughs> and you it also is never really explained how many of those girls he visited I mean, yeah. there's, it's, there are some time jumps. There's definitely two. <laughs> there's that incredible line where he passes one of the henchmen he goes oh the work's piling up yes oh that's good. I mean, that's good. I, I, yeah. I laughed. At, yeah. I laughed yeah. genuinely at that at that line. Some of those lines he actually does pull off. Yeah, there's some that are quite ropey though. I meant to write one down, but there's one that I was like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> oh, when the guy, one of the henchmen, gets thrown into some sort of like a snowmaking machine. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. And you just <laughs> see it turn red, and there's like snow, like pink snow. Like full on fire. You, know you know what he says? He had lots of guts. He had lots of guts. <laughs> and I went, no, the line is gutsy move or something like that. Like, he had a lot of guts? Like, no, doesn't uh, work. Also, that's something that a sociopath would say. Like, I thought that, like, oh, maybe there's just going to be, like, a slight spray. But there's just, like... There is chunks gushing. in that stuff that there's comes a out. a lot of it. The yeah. art director in that particular scene was like, it's all right, guys, oh. I've ordered extra. <laughs> extra, extra gore he can really break this one up to 11 if we're talking about the attack on the base i need to point out it's not just me who likes this movie important people do too like christopher <laughs> nolan in mm. inception do you remember in inception how yeah. one of the levels they get to it's is the snow level, snow level. it is this snow level. I rewatched Inception as well. <laughs> In Inception, they are wearing the same costume, those like white tops and to blend in with the snow and beanies and pants. It's exactly the same. Christopher Nolan loves this movie. It's his favourite James Bond movie. And he set that part of the dream in a like mountaintop snow base 
to pay homage to this movie. It's not exactly the same, the building, but it is a building on top of a mountain. It looks very similar. You have a bunch of people wearing exactly the same costume attacking this and skiing around and throwing grenades. It's uncanny. I don't think I've seen like another homage to a Bond movie other than like the Austin Powers <laughs> movies. But it's just so exact because he loves it. That's great to hear, though. I do like hearing and you know as as you say it can be hard going back and rewatching some of these and going are they as good as I want them to be yeah. uh, which of course they are because I'm me and I'm constantly living in denial but it's nice to know they still affect people that they're still mm. people remember and people take inspiration from them because they are a big pop culture I have another one. Yes. Steven Soderbergh, very famous Oscar-winning director, he wrote about it saying, it's the only Bond film that I look at and think, I'm stealing that shit. Shot to shot, this movie is beautiful in a way none of the other Bond films are. The anamorphic compositions are relentlessly arresting. The editing patterns of the action sequences are totally bananas. It's like he took all the ideas of French New Wave and blended them with Einstein in a quiz in in art to create a grammar that still tops today's how fast can you cut aesthetic. Right. Wow. How good is that? What's really interesting to me, and and it maybe ties into my thoughts on the film as well, is that what, what all these filmmakers seem to be reacting to is all the stuff in switzerland with the with the snow and everything like that apparently is that fair like, like it seems like that that seems to be I, what they're reacting to i think it's it's a mixture i i think there's a certain type of kind of film nerd film critic mm. who, like like this film has got a like a big reevaluation in the recent kind of decade or so sure and i think it's people going like oh this one's a little bit more serious but then i think it's also the it's the fact that you can see it's a really different style it's the fast cutting which was not a thing that lots of movies had like making the fight scene seem like even more impactful because you're cutting a lot and not in this kind of really messy messy like michael bay way but in a way where you know every punch has impact there's that weird fight early on where like there's some stuff in this that doesn't work like when the henchmen take him to draco he beats them up and weirdly every punch sounds like it's a gunshot Yes. You guys pick up on that. <laughs> that that's and, and that there's was a separate shot of every punch. Like, like it's it's weird. Yeah. Like they'll have the the wide shot, and then they'll do a super fast close up. Yeah. Of like a fist coming in, and then and then someone will go flying. Like I don't think everything works in this, and and like there are some scenes where he's fighting, and the cuts jump like you've missed two seconds of the movie because suddenly yeah. they're across the room. But I think it's that, and it's also just that some of the fighting is really brutal. Like at the start of the movie, he just he's drowning that guy. Like he's just holding yeah. him out of the water, and the guy's thrashing. And, and later on, like he he's he's choking the guy with a ski. With a ski, yeah. Uh, and it's just it's not played for laughs or, or like no. action at all. It's just a very serious, brutal murder. Yeah, yeah. The, those henchmen at the start too. I assume they're like Tracy's bodyguards. They are because they're they're through the whole movie. I love that they the, definitely um, work for Draco. Yes, yeah, so and they're at the, the wedding. The, yeah, the, the, <laughs> the, 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 the <laughs> beat me up one black, time. The black guy who he has the fight with, I mean, it, it probably also says on actors, but he has, he has the fight with him in the hotel. He holds the knife to him on the way to the thing. He fights with him again. They're at the bull, you know, the, the matador thing. Then he's at the wedding. Then he gets a flamethrower. Yes, <laughs> that guy yes, has this cool does, shot right. where he has a flamethrower. 
<laughs> like, I remember what? thinking that's so cool. When they're storming the the lair, the mountaintop lair, oh, yeah. there's just like, you know, there's some grenades and there's some, you know, there's the acid being thrown. And there's just this one shot that cuts to that. It's, he's like looking up that weird kind of oh, icy staircase. Yeah. And he just blasts the guy with the flamethrower. It's um like that guy has an arc, <laughs> and then he gets invited to the wedding because he, he survives. The the... Uh, I did read a bit about that the stunts during that scene because they were all dressed in white and because they were jumping into white like airbags and stuff to be disguised in the snow, but everything was white so they couldn't tell how far anything was down. So you've got ju- guys jumping out of helicopters and falling off buildings and not knowing like where to go, like where to land. Like it could be, like, could be two feet or, or, or a hundred feet. Yeah. yeah. You can't get the depth because everything is just white. So like crazy times. Ugh. Well, we should probably start to wrap it up. Was there anything else, Nick, that you wanted to raise about this film? Uh, looking down my list. I love that. There's also a weird reference that M says to Draco at the wedding, November 64, the bullion job. You got away with yes. quite a chunk of the whole, which is very strange because it suggests that he was involved in Goldfinger, Goldfinger and that he actually got some of the money, mm. which is weird. Anyway, but he's like he's uh, he's a he's a European crime syndicate, not an American. Yeah, Goldfinger gassed true. all the all the mafia bosses. Oh, so maybe, maybe he, he got, provided yeah. something. Oh, we have to mention no earlobes. Uh, yes, Blofeld cut off <laughs> no his earlobes because, <laughs> as M says later on, uh, a very curious thing, snobbery. <laughs> says the man in the in the uh, the, <laughs> the mansion with his yes. butterflies. The uh, obvious no. member of the British aristocracy. <laughs> Curious things, snobbery. But also, like, if you have your earlobes cut off, you're going to have, like, a big scar and stitches. Like, that's not going to survive close inspection. I think the next film, here's a little teaser for the next film. I think the next film, in a way, I don't think they set out to do this, but kind of retcons. Uh, it comes up with a way to explain why all the Blofelds might look different. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Plastic I guess surgery any, and weird mud baths, apparently. Yes. Anything, anything, any inaccuracies in movie to movie, <laughs> they can just explain away with, well, he was at the cutting edge of plastic surgery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, Stu? What are your thoughts? I really like this movie. I, I was sort of uh, leaning towards this a little bit earlier, but it feels like two movies. Like, like, like all the stuff before he goes to Switzerland feels like one movie. And then everything in, Swi- in, everything in Switzerland is top notch. Like it's mm. it's incredible action, like very tense. There's that chase scene. There's the the incredible chase down the mountain. Like even even him escaping like over that he's 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 got to climb over the the cable car cables yes. and stuff like that. Like yeah. it's all great. It's fantastic. Yeah. And Tracy comes back in a way that is actually really satisfying because I was worried she was going to be in the start of the film. They've set her up and then she goes away. And then he comes back and just proposes to her. He says, I'm, I'm done with this now. I want to marry you. And no, she becomes like an active part of the movie in the second mm. half of the film, which is amazing. You know, I, I thought I thought if the second half of the movie had been the whole film, I think this would have been like top notch. This would have rocketed maybe to the top of my list. As it is, it's a lot better than its reputation suggests because this is this is said to be something of a bit of a fiasco. Yeah. Um, but I, well, think it's, made, I think it's good. It's a very it, solid movie. It still was a big box office hit. 
Oh, sure, but sure. It didn't do the dollars that like you only live twice had done. Mm. Even though it did do really good dollars, it took longer or something. And in this making of documentary, they talked about how well you've got to blame someone. So we blame the star. Exactly. And maybe, you know, we were talking about, you know, whether George Lazenby should have had another crack at the role. And he thinks he should have now. He seems to say in the making of documentary, he wished he'd done another one uh, or more. But maybe, as you were saying, Nick, giving that reboot feel gives the film something different, which we can now go back and look at and think of, well, what if every Bond film had a different Bond? Would you get the same level of energy as opposed to the later ones in a person's canon always being a little bit less exciting? Series-wide, I think there's an argument for they probably should do four or five and get out. And for some of them, even that is too many. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, like, three. Like uh, you... Three would be, yes. I mean, look, Pierce Brosnan should have made three. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and I wish I wish there were three Timothy Daltons. Yeah, um, yes. I wish you got another one. I I kind of wish Daniel Craig had left after Skyfall, really, considering what Spectre was. But then, as I say every podcast, oh Spectre. I'm going to give you my all Bond ranking. I I cannot wait for this. <laughs> I I just there's two things that you I think you guys have got to look forward to, and I won't spoil which ones they are because you may have forgotten. But you just have in front of you a Bond where he makes a quiche. <laughs> and a Bond film that ends, and I've forgotten all about this, with a sketch comedy level impersonation of Margaret Thatcher and her husband in a kitchen. Oh, that is in a Bond film. Oh, it wow. is so weird. Yeah. So weird. I don't I do not want to tip you to when, but obviously there's a you know, there's a span there, but that's I, a thing that happens. I feel like I know the rough yeah. era of at least the Margaret Thatcher one. I feel like yeah. I have seen that, but I can't. Well, that, that dates it, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah there's up. a there's a, an eight-year period there. <laughs> still. And we know who was in there primarily. Yes, that is excellent. Well, I would love to get your Bond ranking, ranking at some point, Nick, but I'm a bit worried about being influenced by it. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay well uh, look, look i can either give you my ranking up until this film or i can give you the whole thing i can give uh, you my whole shebang maybe it's i would very like... subjective it all is subjective. subjective it is subjective and i'm mostly saying this because i don't want to taint myself if that makes sense like i'm <laughs> i'm absolutely sure your ranking will be incredibly sensible and you know fair but maybe where you could tell us where you would put this film in your Bond rankings. Okay, I can do that. And and then uh, maybe put some of the others that we've we've seen so far. Yeah. So okay, but but lowest to best so far, lowest would be Thunderball. Okay, well, then, Stu would probably agree with you there. Thunder, Thunderball yep. is last on my current list. Yeah, it's a little long, Stu. A little long. It's. It, it, I don't know whether you know this. <laughs> that that movie is two days long. It's it's forty eight <laughs> hours long. <laughs> Every time, long. every time At this least. happens, it's it's longer. Last forget, week it was four hours. You forget how long it is. That's <laughs> no, forty-eight. So I've got uh, Thunderball. Then we go Doctor No. Oh. Then yeah. you only live twice. Right. Ah. Then we have Goldfinger. <gasps> oh, okay, that's an upset. Then On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Ah. Wow. And then number one wow. from Russia with Love. Ah. Well, as I always Which, say, I'll, I'll, Russia... I'll, I'll, I'll tease this. For so long, my go-to, if you'd ask me what my favourite was, was from Russia with Love. I'll just tease you this. It's no longer the top of my list. Oh, okay. Ah. 
There you go. Interesting. Interesting. Has it been supplanted by a film that is much, much later in the in the series? Or sure, it may have been. I feel like. I feel like. Yeah, it's Spectre. No. I was going to say it's not Spectre. No, Spectre's weird. Spectre is very weird. weird. Thank you, Nick. There's some great things in it, but it's it just kind of feels a bit empty. Also, it has a whole mountaintop uh, sequence as well, which I think is the callback to this. Uh, well, I, I was about to yes. say, like, like, it draws heavily from this movie, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, for that at least. I feel, <laughs> I feel like it's either going to be Casino Royale or one of the Daltons. I, I feel like I'm getting that vibe from Nick. Okay. Okay. All right. He's not giving anything away. I mean, I can tell you. Is your, is your one, two, three, your one, two, three currently is, of the films that we've seen, is mm. Rush With Love, Majesty's Secret Service, and then Goldfinger in number three? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I can tell you my number one. I just don't want to spoil that. That seems... <laughs> I, yeah, I'm kind of in two minds about no... Oh, look, go, just go on and tell us. Tell us. It's Casino Royale. Hey! It's a, that movie is just Pretty damn great. near perfect. It's, it's really just, good. just so near perfect. Well, I would invite you back on for that one, but unfortunately, Greg from the Smart Enough to Know Better podcast bags he's, uh to be the guest on Casino Royale. No? Just for a bit of sizzle? He couldn't get a better guest. Because he, he loves it to pieces. So, yes. So, we will we will definitely have more uh, guests on through the podcast uh, span. If you're absolutely insistent on one that you like, certainly reach out to us. But, Stu, you need to tell us and I need to tell you where we're putting it on our rankings so far. Absolutely. Well, so, uh, yeah, I, I really struggle with this one because there, there are, I, I liked it way more than I was expecting to. I think the second half of the film, once they get to Switzerland and all the snow stuff, is great. It's really, really good. Do I like it more than... From, like, like, it's not getting top spot. Gold, Goldfinger is in my top spot. It's a cliched choice, but but I, I like what I like. Like, it, it's there's a reason that it's a classic movie. From Russia With Love is second. Do I like this movie more than From Russia With Love? No, I don't think so. Dr. No is third. Do I like it more than that? I don't think so. So I think for me, it goes between Dr. No and You Only Live Twice. So it's number four. Okay, so same position for me, but obviously mine is different because I've got Thunderball and then You Only Live Twice is last for me. So, But I I struggled a bit with putting it either above or below Thunderball, but in the end I thought, you know, given this is about a rewatch and finding new inspiration, I think that Diana Riggs' role is what kind of sealed it for me. Just such a a good Bond girl that makes up for, I think, her dad's weird... (laughs) patriarchal bullshit and as nick said she does kind of give him shit about that the whole way through so um, just in case you lost this this line the first time uh, a terrell always pays their debts (laughs) (laughs) so i think Uh, so i I was like well i i can definitely put it above you only live twice given how i sort of ended up feeling about that but i think (laughs) i have to put it above thunderball now too because yeah, I think it's just it's tighter, even though it's the longest yeah. film. It's 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 the longest film. We make jokes about how long Thunderball is. This is the longest film until Casino Royale, I think. Or this is yeah. two hours twenty two minutes. Yeah, it's a it's long film. Twelve and... minutes longer than Thunderball. <laughs> but it didn't feel long. This is the thing. It didn't have a series of insane underwater sequences. <laughs> and there there are scenes they cut from this too. There's a scene that um, yeah. he's at the the College of Arms 
place and then realizes that uh, the guy's assistant has been listening in on them and has been spying. And so there's a whole like rooftop chase that ends with him pushing him in front of a train. Oh, right. Like, there's a whole like that was stuff that they I think maybe either shot or like were very near shooting. So, yeah, it could have been so much longer. But mm. look, again, it's all subjective. But just to show you <laughs> my three of all time now, my three of top three of all time is number one, Casino Royale, number two from Russia with Love, number three on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Wow. This is this is three. <laughs> so so you think this is three out of everything? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Look, it's could you ask me tomorrow and it's different? Yeah, maybe. But yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just it's it, I I like it. I think Nick, you're a big because I know you've been doing that massive uh, rewatch of like a thousand classic movies or something. I see you on Twitter updating every so often. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge project that I have always wanted to. I got it when I was. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I was named Ducks of Year Nine. That was when I was at my smartest. <laughs> I was at my smartest when I was 14 and uh, I was top student of that year. And so you got to choose a book as a prize. So you would go into a room and the year 12s got first pick. And then as you went down to the lower grades, you got, you know, whatever was left. And I picked a book called 100 Classic Movies, which still exists somewhere in my life Mm. in a box somewhere. And I would go through and tick off the movies that I'd seen. And it's still got like probably 75 70 movies in there I haven't seen so and I've always wanted to kind of finish that project but it's a huge undertaking so I massively respect you but uh you're a you're a good film person so I'm I'm very interested in your list of bonds as we go along so yeah do you have any other what's your last favorite your least favorite favorite? bottom of the list dead bottom of the list it was actually close this was a close which would be the bottom but the bottom of the list is a view to a kill ah but to say something nice about A View to a Kill, one of the best Bond songs. Oh, so good. It's so Dance good. Yeah, Into the Fire. Yeah, Duran Duran. Yeah, I, I think it was in my top five Bond songs, maybe top seven or something. But, yeah, when I did a ranking of Bond songs, which yeah. was a few films ago, it was up there. It's a great yeah, song. View to, View to a Kill is, I mean, there's still stuff in it, but it's a uh, Barely hangs together. I'm really looking forward to discussing the, um, the sex scene with Grace Jones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That is a very strange piece of filmmaking. You've got Christopher Walken in it. Yes, playing an evil guy. Who would have thought? Yep. And his yep. name is Max. His character's name is Max. And then three years, four years later, five years later, when he went to do um, Batman Returns and he played he an evil Max character. Shrek. Max Shrek. Shrek. Yes. Clearly. A, no relation. A, yes. <laughs> Somebody once told me <laughs> these rolls were going to roll me. No, that's, that doesn't even make sense. Um, well, Nick, thank you so much for joining us. I think we can, we've worked out our list. We've got Nick's insights into the future and uh, we might have Nick back in, in the future potentially. My pleasure. To discuss a really bad one maybe, given this was yeah. a of yours. Why not? Let's uh, do it. So, yeah, if you have an opinion on Her Majesty's Secret Service, you can hit us up on Twitter. I am at Girl Clumsy. Stu is at Disco Stew. Nick is at Nick underscore W, if I'm Nick right. underscore underscore W. Underscore underscore. You're double underscore. Yep. Like 007, but double underscore. <laughs> <laughs> 
hit us up and of course uh, facebook.com slash natalie's throne and my patreon is patreon.com slash girl clumsy and finally i'll shout out the smart enough to know better podcast because they oh, did yes. take up our challenge of uh, working out how scuba sex would happen in thunderball so if you go to se2kb.org i believe or look them up on uh twitter se2kb you will find a link through to their podcast where they talk about scuba sex and its relative um pros and cons <laughs> mostly cons <laughs> mostly cons <laughs> But it was very fun. So thank you to the, to Greg and Dan for uh, working that one out for us, doing some science. If we come up with other Bond science questions, maybe they could explain how they gather all the farm girls from different countries. <laughs> 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 and that they all happen to be hot. And it's never really explained how that plan is going to work, apart from well, they're weapons. They're all going to kill the yeah. lost crops. Yeah. Every night they're going to be alone turn on their radios, and then one night he's going to tell them, poison the crops. <laughs> and the poison chickens. The but he also, this is way too late to, to pull out this inconsistency, <laughs> he, he's saying it's going to like eliminate the entire... So the idea is like she's going to kill the chickens in Lancashire, but the disease will spread through all chickens around the world. It's a food security issue. It's mm. threatening the food security of the world, which is an issue. Food security is an issue. It's just perhaps not as glamorous as like stealing a spaceship and <laughs> causing a <laughs> nuclear war between the US and USSR. <laughs> I, also, I also love that like this is the gritty reboot of the franchise that still involves a, an evil plot that has like mesmerism as its yes. central tenet. And they don't really involve – he talks about, you know, sending his message to the UN, but then you never see the UN side. Like, you never have that back-and-forth dialogue. He just goes, oh, yes, yes. no, it's all it's all in train. I'll Obviously, they'll, they'll pay me the money. Yes, because it's worked so many times before. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to put on my, um, my skivvy and uh, mustard suit <laughs> <laughs> and hang around making goo-goo eyes at uh, Diana Rigg. Until they she come quotes poetry at me. Yes, she quotes poetry. Oh, and with that, um, what a movie! What a movie! Look I, again, as we said, been reevaluated and definitely worth a watch. I think if you've never seen on Her Majesty's Secret Service, it's definitely worth tracking down and um, looking at from a filmmaking perspective. But also, a look, Lazenby wasn't that bad. He's a hometown know? boy, done good. That's right. And he's still kicking on, still making money off his uh, brief time as James Bond. So good for him. <laughs> he's done it. They can never undo it. So there it is. The title music is an instrumental, so I don't need to uh, synchronise anything up with the lyrics. So I can say that, uh, as always, I'm Matt. I'm Stu. Nick, throw yourself in there. I'm Nick. <laughs> 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 and we're shaken. Not stirred. Hooray!